Early one morning while making the rounds I took a shot of cocaine and I shot my woman down I went right home and I went to bed I stuck at 1144 beneath my head Got up next morning and I grabbed that gun Took a shot of cocaine and away I run Made a good run but I run too slow Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, let's talk about evil. Yeah, it's Tuesday. must be evil. I want to be a veterinarian. Would you be an evil veterinarian? (laughs) Dr. Evil. Do you know Dr. Evil was was based on Lorne Michaels? I did know that. I did say he'd be like, okay, but I still don't have an opening sketch. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I did know that. That was pretty funny. So, Jensen doesn't say much about evil. No, we're back to our, by the way, we're back by, to by, Yeah, Theology Island, this is part five? Yeah, part five. Part five. How, of how many, I don't know. No, but at any rate, and thank you for listening. I uh, talked to someone last night who's been listening, so that's good. Did they like, what did they say? Yeah, they like the series, yeah. They like right, the series. Excellent. Yep. Excellent. It's because if they didn't, we're, we're going to see, you know, <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep, keep going through it. We like yeah, it. Yeah. So. Anyway, so, yeah, Jensen, and you know, I even, when I, uh, read his section in uh, Kenny's Bones Live, and I went back to the systematics. He basically says the same thing in the systematics, and there's only like maybe three pages in volume one and three pages in volume two that, that address it. Now, there, I'm, I didn't skip the whole thing. I'm sure there, it comes up other places, but it doesn't seem to be particularly a concern. It doesn't, it's not a particular concern for Jensen. Well, yeah, I, it's interesting because like Bart said, you know, somebody asked him, if, do you believe in the devil? He's like, no one should believe in, in the devil. Like, you, you know, like whether or not the devil. I credo like, the yeah, devil. Like, yeah. And so, but I, I mean, I do credo think, the devil, yeah. you think about like Bart's like take on Augustine's evil is privation, right? As, as, as nothing, you know, as the lack of something. So like, if I have a hole in my shirt, you know, it's, it's, it's less shirtness, it's less good, you know, and then finally you get so many holes that the shirt, it stops, it just tatters, you know, and like evil doesn't, isn't like a, a different kind of shirt. It's the absence of like, a, like a, 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 a functional shirt or the ab- it's absence of the good. And that's Bart, why, that's why a donut is always a reminder of evil. Exactly. Right yeah. in the middle. But what is a Twinkie? It's, a kind of, it's something that... That would uh, be a metaphysical it's, I, it's, duelist. It's not a food group, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah. It, it has a long it might be sh- shelf life. Yeah. It might be a yeah. metaphor for immortality. Yeah, yeah. So, but for, for Bart, evil is nothing. Das Nichtig. It's just nothingness. Right. Yeah, but, he, he follows the tradition. The, yeah, the I mean, it, kind tradition. of a modern, a yeah. modern reworking. But I think that, that Jensen seems to sort of... I mean, I, I think maybe there's a, a theological reason to not give evil a certain amount of due. No, yeah, I think that's, I think, um, uh, you know, it, it is. I mean, even in it in the New Testament, evil is something we are delivered from. It's something that we struggle against. But, you know, and this can be a weakness of, you know, Christian theology. There's a kind of, in our minds, it's, it's, it's penultimately been defeated, or its ultimate defeat's already sealed. I mean, there's a sense like that where I think part of Paul, you know, Paul took seriously, if you would, at least the Pauline tradition, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. But, you know, his, that didn't stop him. You know, he felt that, you know, he's the victor in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, this is an overused analogy, but I'll add to its overuse. <laughs> but it's sort of like, you know, they talk about like D-Day and V-Day. Yeah. Like, you know, we're, we're really once... Is that the, Coleman? They said that first. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Coleman. Yeah. Is that, what's that book by Coleman? Time... Time, mm-hmm. time, time, and something. 
Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I have it on my shelf somewhere. But so basically, the the Allied forces hitting the beaches of Normandy that was functionally the end of the war. I mean, it went on for for how many more years? Two, a year plus. A year plus. But really, uh, not, well, yeah, that was plus. the penultimate. You know, kind of. That's, that's well, there was still a lot of death. There was still a lot of destruction. The fact that that was successful meant that the the European theater was going to was done. Yeah, yeah. Done. So I mean, people have used that analogy that like the the the, the first coming of Christ is like D Day, and the second coming of Christ is like V Day. Is 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 the consummation, the final defeat of evil. So I, it it gives us in its in, an, in some levels the Christian oper- Christian response to evil, and, and Garish talks about this is. One of it is to push it to the side, if you would. I guess it depends on the piety. I mean, one of it is to push it to the side, saying it's there and it's going to be here till the end. Um, you know, some more apocalyptic Christianities, I mean, that is the battle. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, uh, we have to fight our way, you know, we have to fight our way to Berlin. So even though, you know, a D-Day's happened, you know, they got the idea of this is a, this is a battle till the end and the struggle, you know, the all millennial kind of view that the, you know, the struggle between the church and evil is really what it means to be the church militant. Yeah. And are you, you're a millennial, right? Yeah. Greg Strawbridge asked me one time, our friend, I said, you know, he asked me if I was, I, I said I was a millennial and he said, why do you want to be in a losing team? That's why he's post millennial. <laughs> I was like, you know, that's one of the best arguments for post millennials I ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Why I want to be on a losing team? It's like yeah, power I, positive thinking. I would like to be a post millennial, but uh, that means my team is much better than it actually yeah. is. Yeah. The uh, yeah. the church team, it's uh, it's win loss record is up in the it's air. Not yeah. So, so this is Garrish. Now Garrish, on the other hand, has spends a lot, spends a, a chunk on. He has a whole thesis on evil in a chapter, thesis eight. And he says, estrangement from the creator cannot be separated from the way in which the creation is perceived, but is precisely being at odds with the world order, either through anxiety about the course of the world, in particular about natural evil, or through abuse of its resources and inhabitants for self-centered ends, which is social evil. And the magnitude of evil in the world raises the question of theodicy, which faith answers with commitment to the healing work of God and Jesus Christ. Now, that's really interesting because estrangement from the Creator cannot be separated from the way in which the creation is perceived, um, but is precisely being at odds with the world order. So for Garish, evil is is almost like a subjective reality. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, not that there aren't, I mean, it's it's hard to say because he's not dismissing it, but he is saying that basically when you're in a state of faithlessness, either through mistrust or defiant rebellion, then the creator becomes experienced as evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's at some levels, I mean, isn't that even the idea of, I mean, providence, if you would, is a faithful perspective, regardless of what the evidence seems to give you. In other words, I believe in the good that God will do is has nothing in some. So you, your subjective experience, it doesn't take away the, the, the bad things that are happening, but you lay upon that experience the subjective idea that somehow God's going to work this all out in the end. So the positive, you could say the you could say. I mean, some levels you can you can define all the faith in that kind of way of, of from a, that subjective kind of dimension. Yeah, and you know, for Garish, I guess you'd say this for Calvin and Schleiermacher, but you know, that providence is not it is a doctrine of redemption in some sense. Like it's not it's not like you sort of believe in providence and then you come to believe in a redeeming God. That the the redeemer and the creator who providentially sustains the order are, are one and the same. Which is why providence is a comforting reality because you you trust in the 
benevolence of the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, as as Garish would say. So it's not a kind of neutral providence. It's a providence ordered towards yeah. redemption. No, and it's kind of like he's a couple of times he points out that's kind of an Aranean view, that the actually that the redemption's kind of at the end. I mean, in other words, we're not, the re, or the perfection is not the beginning of the project, but that providence, redemption, creation are all, you know, all part of the same thing and that we're moving towards I mean, the, the perfect, not that we came from the perfect. Yeah, yeah. So that, so, so that gets back to the idea. If you don't divide your doctrine of creator and redeemer, but if you see them together, which, by the way, is something I'm giving a lecture on tonight and talking about what was at stake in the Nicene Creed, then that, that does color all of existence. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, too, that like he says that for Schleiermacher, evils are defined broadly as hindrance to life. But he says he he means more particularly hindrance to spiritual life. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't. So for Schleiermacher, a natural disaster it's re, it's 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 evil when it causes this sense of estrangement that right. Garish describes. It's not. It, he doesn't. It's it's not. It's not something moral. Like a hurricane is not something moral for Schleiermacher. It 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 only becomes so when it either becomes an occasion to awaken faith, as, as oftentimes tragedy does awaken faith in people. So that's, and to use Simone Weil's term, terminology, that's when grace and gravity intersect. Yeah, this, by the way, this is Bill's, la- last weekend was one of Bill's uh, light weekends, home alone reading Simone Weil. Upbeat weekend, upbeat weekends with Bill. Good times. Exactly. Good times. So this is, I mean, this is why, you know, part of for Schleiermacher, th- this this kind of passing on of the God consciousness of Jesus is redemptive because Jesus, his unbroken consciousness of of God in all things, is ultimately what redemption is all about. Where you're you're not experiencing estrangement, where God is all in all in the created order, despite you know the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune mm-hmm. and such things. One of the things I liked about Garish is discussion is when he gets the section on theodicy, he talks about this in terms of being an in-house really discussion. Sometimes, you know, we talk about theodicy as the the assault that comes from outside the faith, you know. How can you believe in a good God and all the suffering and things like that, whether it be, you know, something literally like in the Brothers Kramatsov or other words. It's kind of something we often, it frequently gets leveled at Christianity. But he actually spends his time talking about Really, how we, how the different ways—the Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, the New Testament—and the Christians struggle with it. And I think one of the things that's good to be reminded of um, is there's just not one answer. I mean, there are lo- the the Bible and the tradition takes a lot of different approaches to this issue. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that that I mean it, it's interesting too because evil is only a problem if you have a conception of good, right? I mean, it, if if you have a sense, if you have a sense of, of ought, not just is. But the way that should be. Yeah, that's why the Buddhists say that that's you know, part of the chief problems with our way of thinking is that we, we superimpose our, an expectation that shouldn't be there. Right. And it, yeah, and that I think, you know, for, for Christians, it's it, it sort of evil is, is kind of, is a function of the fact that we think that their creation is a good and B has a telos, you know, towards ultimate fulfillment. And, you know, even more important than creation is that we believe there's a God who is good and wants God. Oh, yeah. If God, there's a God, too. I believe in that, too. <laughs> we don't want to forget that, that fact that there's well, a God. Well, I'm just thinking, so, I mean, it's a problem for all monotheistic religions. Yeah. 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 I mean, maybe some even more so than, like, 
you know, pantheistic or even polytheistic because, you know, you can kind of have this mon- monism that all or, you know, works out. But, but when you believe that there's a purposeful good God who has good things for his people and cares and loves and is merciful, and all three of the major monotheistic religions talk about the merciful nature of the God, then that creates, that does create a different kind of problem for us. Yeah. 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 And I think one of the, I mean, again, I, you know, one of the things where, um, I think it's really helpful, and, and, and Jensen says this too, talks about this too, that really when you start to talk about, you know, the primary way to talk about evil in the scriptures, it's about a broken relationship. It, you know, it always, it, it kind of begins with, with a broken relationship with God, but much of the way you can talk about relationship, right, about what goes wrong in terms of, let's say that, you know, for, for the biblical and the Old Testament, it's disobedience. So, you know, idolatry is basically a, a fundamental disobedience to the Creator, which is a assault and a breaking of the covenant that they had made with God and God had made with them. And that causes all kinds of disorder all over the place. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, too, that, I mean, for Schleiermacher, I mean, Garish quotes Schleiermacher right in the beginning of the chapter, where he, this is where I wish I had a paper copy, because it's harder to go back on Kindle. I could just turn really quickly. But now, I'm just going to go back, go back. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? Gracious conversations characterized by a particular combination of wit, empathy, reflection, and human understanding. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going, and you can help launch several other podcasts, projects I've got in the works. Being a Patreon sponsor is really just you being a patron of an art form you enjoy and are passionate about. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Michael Butera, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, and David Zoll. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. It's like, this is like a, a <laughs> the airline pilot that says, hey, all right, now we're at 30,000 feet. It's like Seinfeld's like, oh, I want to go up in the, in the cockpit and go, hey, I'm having the peanuts now. <laughs> it said, Schleiermacher speaks out of experience among the Moravian pietists when he says that in the consciousness of a person in the grip of conversion, every sense of human intermediation vanishes and Christ is realized as immediately present in all his redeeming activity, endotonic activity, prophetic, priestly, and kingly. And he, he said his testimony was taken, he says, however, along with his thoughts on the individual's relation to the church in the world, that this is a communal thing. And this is, so Christ's redemptive activity it happens in the context of the, ch- of the church and the world. And so what you, for, for Schleiermacher, what you experience is condemnation, like natural evil and things like this, or social evil is, is experienced as condemnation. Right. 
and guilt and guilt and original like and, and what happens for him when you have the experience of redemption is those things you don't stand condemned and so you don't look it's really interesting bart's has this great thing in church like max three four in the ethics of illness and he talks about what's the first thing that the ethical response of the suffering christian in affliction and illness he says the first thing is you have to say to yourself god is not condemning me hmm that to because as natural as it might be to think that I'm, but that's like contrary to the gospel's declaration about yeah. you for you in Jesus Christ. So like there is no condemnation, right? So that's I mean for this is where it's interesting. You can see Garrish is following Schleiermacher on some of this, although he talks about Calvin a lot too. But this is the subjective shift in what the the problematic nature of of the creation. It goes from like problematic to providential. Yeah, and and Garish, you know, I mentioned already one of Garish's points out that basically he sees there's two kinds of theodicy within Christianity. The one I already mentioned earlier is the Irenaeus, where uh, we go, we you know, where the completion of creation is at the beginning, and where you have the more familiar one to most of us is uh, our creative, yeah, the the fulfillment of creation is at the end of the story, whereas most of us are familiar with the Augustinian. Western kind of take on things that, uh, in a particular reading of Paul, which we've talked about before, may not actually be the proper reading of Paul, but this idea that, you know, the humanity was created in some sort of paradise, uh, perfection, and that the story is one of, uh, perfection, fall, and redemption. And then there, you know, there is frequently a talk about, you know, that there is a restoration. And I think there's language in the, in the Western tradition that also can say that the restoration is greater than the fall, but the fall just seems to loom so, so powerfully. And so there is a tendency to talk about the ultimate cause of both, you know, both sin and death in this world is human failure. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too, because he, he has this, he talks about um, John Hicks, book work on evil and he says that he where's the section where he talks about Alyosha his question to Alyosha I just had basically where you know the the section in the myth of the grand the myth of the grand inquisitor and the brothers Karamazov where as Alyosha and Ivan are arguing about whether or not that you know it that God could a good God could create a world to make men happy Mm -hmm. human beings happy if it involved the death of just one child or the suffering you know they talk about this child like being yeah one one suffering child is too many yeah and that so he says this hicks honestly leaves her with the question of ivan karamazov to his brother the devout alyosha whether he would create a world that would make men happy in the end if it required torturing to death just one little child alyosha's subdued answer is no hick reformulates ivan's question whether there can be a future good so great as to render acceptable in retrospect the whole human experience with all its wickedness and suffering as well as all its sanctity and happiness. He answers with a tentative, perhaps. Yeah, and I think the trouble is that I do think this is one of the blind spots. Um, you know, I remember having in the midst of a Jewish dialogue um, with some scholar, Jewish scholars in, in Jerusalem at Shalom Hartman, and one of them made the point that this is one of the biggest problems you have as Christians because of your tri- because Christ has come. And so it creates a kind of triumphal approach, even though he's, he understood Christianity about the future. And so— there is, you have a natural temptation. Sorry, Mark Oppenheimer just wrote a piece why Seinfeld's special is not really Jewish comedy. He's not Jewish. He's like, there's, he's like, it's like, it's like so Christian. Yeah, the Christians, the Messiah has come. He's like, there's no, um, angst. There's no conflicted nature. He's like, Seinfeld's like a Gentile kind of, uh, portrayal of reality. 
Uh, as I, I was saying. <laughs> there you go. I'm just saying. I, no, you're, you're, you're yeah, your validating your... Yeah, and so the problem is that I do think... Why is there evil? <laughs> the problem is there's often a need for us to downplay downplay evil. I think there's a sense where sometimes Christian theology, um, and again, to have the credit, I mean, all the after, you know, theology after Auschwitz people, I'll you know, give them credit. And I certainly uh, was, have been influenced by, their, by what they've taught and read, many of that whole group of folks. But because of the, I don't consider the present suffering you know, to be paired to the glory that will be revealed. And I don't think that's a trite statement because I mean, if you just read what Paul's been through, Paul knew suffering better than as well as anybody we know. But nonetheless, I think there is a tendency for us to minimize. And I don't, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know when you walk past a picture of a, you know, when you walk through the Holocaust Museum and you see all these shoes representing all the children. It's it's hard to it's hard to ignore that. Or you walk through the children's children's museum uh, at uh, in Jerusalem. It's it's hard to it's hard to. Or as Sean Spicer said, the Holocaust centers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's the, but it's hard to minimize, and so I do think that's uh, perhaps. I think that's a kind of a that's an existential, honest answer. I think. Yeah, and I think actually, I mean, so it's interesting because I think that there's a couple of ways to deny evil. Like there's certain kind of Eastern philosophies that do evil is an illusion. Sure, Christian Science, like Mary Baker Eddy, similar thing. And then there's a kind of sort when people say, "Oh, it's the Lord's will," as if there aren't really things opposed to. The will of God. I mean, the, 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 it becomes this kind of monistic understanding of you know all that God has no stake against it. Like I, I, don't, I don't think people. Are, it's a different version of fatalism. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. so I actually think I'm a fan of the Aaronian kind of perspective that, and also I think that the only possible way to to account for what we know about natural origins, right? I mean, assuming that we're outside of one, of, we're not living in one of Ken Ham's museums, but we, we are, we are living in the modern world. That creation's goodness has to lie in its perfectibility. It can't lie in its original perfection because we know that all sorts of things that we think that we would call tragic or awful happen. You know, we we know that like there was gratuitous suffering of dinosaurs. You know, things like that. Oh, I mean, right. I mean, their whole, I mean. So you can't say that, well, human beings sinned and then. No. And then things went awry. We know things that we would think of as being kind of violent and vicious, like creation red and, and, and tooth and claw. That exists far before human existence. No, everything that exists now is here in part because of massive extinctions and death of other things. And so there's a kind of, there is a kind of, and again, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, so I won't choose the word I was about to choose, but there certainly is um, a kind of, from the beginning of the project, a cycle of death and violence and sacrifice for there to be, for life to to move forward. Yeah, and so I think the goodness of creation lies not in the fact that the lion lays down with the lamb in the beginning, but it's kind of place that can produce a the, the holy state the garden the, the garden the unruly garden can become it can become the holy city yeah but i also think there's something to uh the platonic idea the neoplatonic idea that there's something good about being in and of itself i mean i think there's right right yeah, so yeah. i think there's something existence itself has a um extrinsic and intrinsic value in that, you know, there's a sense where that's just, all right, let's go. So let me jump back. I'm going from this down to back to the romance. But if one of those little fruit flies had lived for six hours from our, from, from our, time flies like an arrow, fruit <laughs> flies like a banana. <laughs> 
But, My aunt Gal had a T-shirt that said that. I thought but, it was funny. But from a Thomistic perspective, those six hours are for the glory of God. So there, there, there might be until they get near your strawberry dagger. Yeah. <laughs> but there might be a deeper magic involved to 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 blatantly steal from C.S. Lewis that these kind of point of it being in of itself. Um, um, you know, that's part of why you know suicide was a mortal sin in the Catholic Church because. You know, if you murder some one person, you you kill one person. But then when you commit suicide, you murder the world. And I think that is again, I, again, when people get to that point, it's tragic. And I, I don't think there needs to be guilt laid on top of tragedy. But the but the bottom point is a good one, in that you know, there's a sense where existence in of itself is a good. And, yeah. And I think that that's something that again, I'm with you, the Irenaean kind of. Uh, Future uh, perfection or imperfect in the sense of being face to face with God and God's all in all. That's you know perfect in the kind of classic sense of that is something that um, to look forward to and to hope for. Um, yeah, we didn't really talk much about the devil. I think sometime when we're done with the series, we could do a whole series on the history of the devil and how it is a particular Christian theodicy. It becomes a Christian theodicy. And there's a great book on that. Richard Beck wrote called Devil. And the demons for the Douthers and Tishchant. Great book. And there's a great four-volume series by Russell. That's longer. And it's a great series, though. It really the, the other thing, too, I just want to say, my friend John Hardy did— Cornell Press, by did the way, a thing, Russell. Yeah. Uh, did a dissertation on Bart and Job. Like Bart's reading a Job. And, you know, he said something to me once that I think it stuck with me. He's like, oftentimes theodicy creates evil by trying to explain the unexplainable or justify the unjustifiable. So I think that like we should be aware of the odysseys because oftentimes when then used like the the comfort is in the death and resurrection of Jesus, not in, in the odyssey, because the odyssey is you know again often evil is 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 inexplicable. Yeah, I quoted it's reality. Yeah, I quoted um, this past Sunday in my sermon. I quoted a good friend of mine was dying and um, way too soon, and I thought I got a phone call that they. Something had happened. They were doing a procedure, and they and they thought it was the end. I, I rushed to the hospital, and I got there. As I got there, his his wife was walking towards me, and he had survived the procedure. Now he would die a couple of weeks later. But she said to me, uh, she looked at me, and she was emotionally, physically exhausted. But she looked at me, and I said, and he, she says he's alive. And then she goes, you know, um, we don't always get the miracle we want, but often we get the one we need. Yeah. 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 Amen. Amen. I'm just an old chunk of coal But I'm gonna be a diamond someday I'm gonna grow and glow Till I'm so blue, pure, perfect I'm gonna put a smile on everybody's face But I'm gonna kneel and pray every day Lest I should become vain along the way I'm just an old chunk of coal now, Lord But I'm gonna be a diamond someday I'm gonna learn the right way to talk I'm gonna search and find a better way to walk I'm gonna spit and polish my old rough edged self Until I get rid of every single flaw I'm gonna be the world's best friend 
I'm gonna go around shaking everybody's hand I'm gonna be the cotton-picking rage of the age Yes, I'm gonna be a diamond someday I said, I'm just an old chunk of coal now, Lord But I'm gonna be a diamond someday 